Well, welcome everybody again, and uh, it really is a great, great privilege to be in the house of God and for me to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. I trust that you are well. I trust that your hearts are wide open for the Word of God this morning. And as Hilt mentioned, we finished a series, if you were with us at the end of last year, called Unto Us. We looked at a passage from Isaiah which speaks about some of the characteristics or names of God that he is towards us. So we looked at Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then on Christmas Day, Prince of Peace. And we felt it was only appropriate to respond to Unto Us with Unto Him. How would God want us to respond to Him? What does God require of us? What does God hope in this relationship, how does he foresee you and I connecting with him? And uh, there's a guy in the Bible, he was around during Jesus' times. In fact, he asked Jesus a question very similar to the series question we're trying to ask God today. And that is, his name was Nicodemus, and he said, God, what is, what is the greatest commandment? Like of all the commandments, now many of us know that there are 10 commandments, but the Jewish people had hundreds of commandments. And so he was like, God, what, what, what is the greatest commandment? Meaning, of all the things you want from us, what is the most important to you? Like, God, I'm sure you want a lot from us, and I'm sure there's a lot I can do as a Christian, but if there was one thing that would make you happy, that would please you, that would delight you, what is that one thing, God, that I can do? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, and he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And uh, the same passage is found in Mark chapter, tw- uh, Mark chapter uh, something. It's going to come up on the screen. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And it just has one more word, which is interesting. It says that we are to love the Lord your God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. So four things. Heart, mind, soul, strength. So, so God goes, the greatest thing you can do back to me, the greatest response you can give to me for everything that I've done for you is to love me with everything that you have. In fact, the verse goes on and the scripture's not going to come on the screen, but it says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he makes a pretty outrageous statement and he says, if you do these three things, then the entire law, the prophets, everything that's ever been asked of you will be fulfilled if you just do These three things, love God, love people, and love yourself. And so we're going to unpack this particular passage over the next couple of weeks in this Unto Him series. But before we dive into it, I want to make two observations. The first observation is this statement, what is the greatest commandment? And then Jesus responds, it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that God is saying, you know, when you feel like it, when you're up to it. It doesn't depend on the day, the mood, the time, the season. It's a commandment. It's an instruction from God to us. And nothing has taught me the value of an instruction quite like having kids. I have a five, three, and one-year-old. And I will give them instructions like, could you go to the bath or could you put your washing in the basket or it's time to eat or stop playing outside or could you stop watching? And it is quite hysterical now, not in the time, the amount of varied responses that come from my kids. 
Like sometimes I will give them an instruction and they will completely ignore me. Like they're watching something and I'm like, okay, kids, time to stop watching. Dudes, time to stop watching. Sometimes I'll get a yes, but it's a yes that is to move me away from the room. Yes, dad. And they continue watching. And other times they will engage in a conversation with me where they begin to debate why the topic that I've asked them to stop doing or to start doing doesn't need to be done in this particular moment. I know this only happens in my household and in none of yours. And it normally ends with the same statement. And maybe I've just been home for December holidays and so I feel like I've said the statement a whole lot. I'm like, guys, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. And when God speaks about the greatest commandment, he is not asking us. He's telling us. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The other observation that I want to make is that there are four different ways that Jesus gives us in the scripture to love him. Heart, mind, soul, and strength, which means that they have different applications. They have different outworkings. It also means that you and I potentially could be loving God with our hearts, but not with our minds. Could be loving God with our strength, but not necessarily with our soul. And so throughout the series, we're going to unpack the different ways that we get to love God. Each of these words, heart, soul, mind, strength, can be explored as to how we love God. But I think the collective meaning is the greater lesson. We are not to love God in only one part of our lives, but we are to measure every thought, emotion, feeling, word, and action in the light of our desire to please and to honor him. We're actually called to love him in all four of these areas. And so today I'm going to unpack loving God with our heart and our soul. I'm going to combine those today. Next week, Vonnie is going to preach and she's going to unpack loving God with your mind. And then we're going to have the last week where it looks at loving God with all of your strength. So heart and soul. How do we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul? Well, let's define, uh, define heart and soul very quickly. Heart and soul are obviously two different words, but both represent the inner part of a man that's separate from our like, physical being. Our heart and soul is at the center of our spiritual life, and it encompasses our passions, desires, affections. It includes our emotions, our reasoning, and our will. So that's how, what we're trying to figure out today. How do we love God with our passions, desires, emotions, feelings, wills, reasoning? How do we love God? And I want to give you four ways that we get to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. Because church, this particular love that God is speaking about is not fluffy clouds and nice little rainbows. It's going to take some grit it's going to take some deep dive, and it's going to take these potentially four ways that we get to love God. And so the first is, we are to love God with an exclusive love. We are to love God with an exclusive love. How do you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul? 
Will you love him with an exclusive love? The first commandment that Moses, that God gave to Moses was that you should have no other gods before me. This is how it reads in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Do not worship any other gods. Don't put any other gods before me. Now, for most of us, I would assume that we're probably not setting up idols or little statues in our homes. For most of us, we're probably not visiting other so-called religions. But let me break down what it means to worship because whatever you worship becomes an idol or becomes a god in your life. The word worship can be described in many ways. I'd like to look at it from this perspective today. Worship is whatever grabs our attention, our affection, and our adoration. And it is best displayed in our most sacred commodity, time. What are you giving your time to, your attention, your affection, your adoration? What is being caught up here in your mind over and over and over and over? What's controlling you? What's dictating to you? Because whatever that is, we begin to bow to it. We begin to worship it, and it becomes a God in our lives. And so, friends, when January rolls to an end and your New Year's resolutions start to fade, and your church attendance dips, and your home group attendance starts to fade away, and your quiet times begin to get sporadic, and you can't quite find your Bible, then friends, you have found something else to give your attention, your affection, your adoration to. You have taken your most precious commodity, time, And you have replaced it with something else that is more worthy in your eyes of your worship. And God says, do not put another God before me. How are you and I going to love God with all our hearts and our souls? It's not fluffy. It's not the third song when we like strung up in the worship and Lauren's leading us and it's beautiful. And you just, I mean, look, that's a way of declaring our love, but it really is a commitment to say, God, I will put nothing before you. And in fact, God doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just tell us not to worship or serve any other God. He then describes his emotion. He says, for my name is jealous, and I am a jealous God. Now, I know for many of us, we're like, well, that's not right. God, you need to sort that out. You need some repentance. (laughs) Because we think jealousy makes you nasty. We We have derived a whole bunch of negative emotions and connotations to the word jealousy. But God is not nasty in his jealousy, but he is absolutely jealous for us. Let me read it as J.R. Parker says it says like this, God's jealousy is not, a compound, is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is, but appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. That is the jealousy of God. Something supremely precious. You are supremely precious to God. Remember that God describes in the Bible his church, you and I, as the bride of Christ. He has given everything to get us. And so he wants everything in response. 
This divine jealousy is a zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it if it's broken. He's going to go after it to get it back. And so for many of us, I believe that even today, God is chastening us from flirting with the world. None of us in our right minds would think that it is okay for me with my wife to start flirting with others. And yet for many of us, our relationship is one where we with God and we flirt with the world. And God goes, you want to love me with all your heart and all your soul? You're going to do that with an exclusive love. You're going to do that by coming close to me and giving me everything that is yours. Listen to what Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says. It says, no one can serve two masters, for they will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, Jesus goes hard after wealth, perhaps because for many of them, and maybe even for many of us, wealth is one of our gods. But this can be anything. He could have gone hard after power or prestige or identity or fame or whatever it is that kind of grabs our attention. So why, why does God want, uh, why doesn't God want something to master over us? Why does he want to be the only master in our lives? Well, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 19 says it like this, for, Peter, uh, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. People are slaves, meaning you begin to bow, you begin to be controlled. Listen to what the definition of slavery is, or one of them. It says, a person who is excessively dependent upon or controlled by something. God's deep desire is that you would have one master, so that you shall not be mastered or be a slave to anything else. So loving God with all of our hearts and souls frees us from everything that controls us. Many of us are sitting here, perhaps with New Year's resolutions, or perhaps with that thought in the back of your mind, or perhaps with that grapple, that area of sin, or that area of that habit, or that area of weakness, and you wish that you could get over it. You wish you could leave it behind. And I want to tell you, friend, the way that you are going to leave that slavery behind is that you need to choose a different master. You need to get the master, Jesus, in the throne in your life, loving him with all your heart and your soul, and you will see freedom from that area of slavery. There's a great um, imagery in Exodus. It's um, talking about a, a servant or a slave, and then the word or the terminology bond servant or bond slave is used. I'll explain how you became a bond servant or a bond slave. What would happen is you would be bought as a slave and you would do your certain amount of time, seven years or 10 years, maybe longer. And once you had done your time, you were then free to go with your family, your wife, your kids. But a bond servant would make a choice and they would say, actually, me and my family want to stay with our master. We don't want to go, even though we're free to go, we choose with our freedom to stay in the master's house. And so what would happen is that the master would take a um, hammer and like a, a nail and he would take the slave's ear and he would pierce through his ear into their door as a mark, as a sign that you are now a bond slave, a bond servant. A choice of freedom, but yet choosing to serve the master. Can I ask you a couple of questions today? 
Has your ear been pierced to hear the things of your master? Have you made a decision to stay close to your master even though he's given you the freedom of choice to go where you want? Have you made a decision that you would be a bond servant, a bond slave to serve God all the days of your life regardless of the fact that you don't need to? I really believe that when we love God with all of our hearts and souls, what he's calling us to do is to be bond servants, to be bond slaves to God. And so, the first way that we love God with all of our hearts and all of our soul is that we have this exclusive love. The second way is that we have, we are to love God with a surpassing love. We are to love God with a surpassing love. You ever heard that? term everything in moderation I mean in some ways I understand it maybe when it comes to your eating or when it comes to whatever it works some in some places but I think people quote it so often that they think it's a bible verse my friend you will never find that verse anywhere in the bible when it comes to your relationship with God everything in moderation except when it comes to God Absolutely nothing in moderation. You cannot serve God in moderation. You cannot seek God in moderation. You cannot worship God in moderation. You cannot love God in moderation. In fact, there, is, there are these surpassing statements in the scriptures that are completely counter to moderation. They say things like, um, give it all. Deny yourself. Give it all away. Serve God. Seek God. And we're going to read one particular passage. But it is not in moderation. It is in a surpassing love. Listen to what Matthew chapter 10 verse 37 to 39 says. It says, he who loves his father or mother more than me, me being Jesus or me being God, is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. I just got to be honest with you, friends. I don't see much moderation there. Now, I know perhaps you're wanting to kick back at that and going like, what's God saying? Like I'm not meant, am I meant to hate my kids? I'm meant to hate, I mean some of you are like, praise God, because I do hate my wife, joking. <laughs> God says I have to hate you. Total joke. But God is not telling us to hate. What he's saying is in comparison. It just pales in comparison. I love my kids, I love my wife. It pales in comparison to how I should love my God pales in comparison, not moderation, not media. I know, particularly living up here in Kloof, that it suits us having everything in moderation. We just want to go to church on Sunday. Keep our, maybe we attend a home group. Just put it in little pockets. Church, it is not a moderate relationship with God. It's a surpassing relationship with God. As we head into 2022, would you make a decision within your heart to have an over-compelling, desired, surpassing love for Jesus? God is speaking about when we love Him the most, then we will follow Him in spite of any persuasion or influence that would hinder us. 
That's the kind of love that he's looking for. In fact, the love of God that Jesus describes causes us to give up anything and everything that deters our passion for him. Now, we've been playing this game a whole lot in our home, particularly the last six months. Um, it's the alternative to hide and seek and just complete like parent moment. It's kind of cool because it means that I can sit on the couch and play this game rather than have to like get in a washing basket or like under the bed and like there are times where I'm like, man, my body should not be in this position and could one of my kids find me? But the game is hot and cold. You must have all played it, right? You hide a particular item somewhere in your house and then the kids come running through and they start to look for the item and then you shout cold, 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 cold or hot, 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 the closer they get to the particular item. And we started adding a bunch of vocabulary to it, the, the kind of older that my two-year-old son Roman got. And so we added warm and he got super excited. He just shouts at the top of his lungs, um, particularly when he's hid the item, he's standing right by it and he's just shouting hot. Hard, 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 hard. And, and so we've added like boiling hard and we've added freezing cold. And really there's a whole bunch of like volume that's going on while we play these games. And one particular time, Roman, my two-year-old, had hidden the particular item and, and, and Emma and, and Orlando and myself were looking for it. And he was shouting out a whole bunch of words and then he just shouted out, freezing warm! And to this day, I have no idea what he meant. But what I do know, friends, what I do know is you're lukewarm, not hot or cold. Everything in moderation is freezing out your faith. What I do know, friends, is that you're lukewarm, not hot or cold. Everything in moderation is freezing out your faith. You are doing God no favors by bringing him your leftovers by bringing him your scraps and you're doing him no favors by bringing your faith in moderation. It is an all-surpassing love that God has required. The third is that we are to love God with an obedient love. John chapter 14 verse 15 says, you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. As long as we associate the word love as a fluffy clouds and rainbows and not as an obedient faith to God, an obedient response to God, church, we will never have a substance to our faith. Not the kind of substance that God is looking for from you and I. It's an obedient response that we are to give to him. So what is obedience? Obedience is the resultant action of submission or surrender to one in authority. That is far from the romance novel you read. It's a resultant action, meaning it, it requires something of you and I that is mostly directly connected to you and I bending our will, bowing our will, so out of submission and surrender to say your will, not mine. That's what loving God with all your heart and soul looks like. Now, I want to read this verse here because it's really important. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love God because he first loved us. The reason I read this verse to you, I'm going to read it one more time. We love God because he first loved us. This is paramount for our faith because if you don't get this, what you'll end up doing is having an obedient love, having a submissive love, having a surrendered life 
that is doing a whole bunch of religious activity in order to earn your love from God. But the scriptures say the correct way to understand the love of God is that he first loves us and therefore we can love him. How do we love him? The correct response to loving God, the right approach is to, uh, is to walk out an obedient kind of love. The appropriate response is to love God by walking in obedience to God. So what you say, God, goes. Where you lead me, goes. What your word says is true. What your spirit leads or prompts, I'm going to be obedient to. I say yes to you, God. Now, this is not easy. Remember, obedience is the resultant action of submission or surrender to the one in authority. So it looks like this, church. You want to know what it looks like to love God with all your heart? It looks like forgiving the person you should really, in all earthly perspective, never have to forgive. That's what it looks like to love God with all your heart. It means to love the person who perhaps has stopped loving you a long time ago. It means to give when it hurts so deep that it feels completely unfair. And yet if the Spirit prompts you, you say, yes, God. It looks like mending relationships. It looks like sharing your faith. You know, God, I don't know if I have the words to say. I don't know. I, I, I might feel embarrassed. What happens if I put this relationship? What happens if they're not? God, I'll do Whatever you say, it means stepping out in courage and bravery and saying, God, if you're leading me onto waters where it's uncertain and unsure, I'm going to step because you're calling me to walk in obedience, not in a cushiony kind of love. It's a surpassing, exclusive, obedient kind of love. And it is difficult, friends, but I will tell you this much. It will take a counterculture, death to self, picking up your cross kind of faith. But if we love God exclusively with a surpassing love, that obedience will come just that much more naturally to us. Many of us aren't able to walk in the obedience of God because we haven't created an exclusive relationship with God or chosen that this faith will not be one in moderation. It will be one that is in surpassing, overflowing, abundant love towards God. The fourth and final is we are to love God with a persevering love. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, but I think many of us, when we read this verse, we don't read it like it ends. We read it like that God will give us this crown of life, not for the ones that love God, but for the ones that are loved by God. We assume God will bless us with this crown of life because he loves us, but doesn't say that. It says that he will bless us with this crown of life because we love him. So best you and I learn to love him appropriately. Learn to love him the right way because it says we need to persevere through trial. We need to just, friends, we need to just keep standing. 
We need to keep fighting. We need to hold on to our faith, which is precious. We need to make sure that we are here every Sunday, that we're in the Word of God. We need to bounce back. If we have one or two bad days, we don't let that slump continue. We bounce back. We need to have people around us that are cheering us on, keeping the fire going. We cannot have a 2022 that perhaps looks like a 2021. Because we've got to remove every excuse and every justification and every reason and go, God, I work. no other God comes before me. And this perseverance is hard, church. It's not easy. Some of you know that I've taken up running in the last little bit and um, unintentionally took December off. Unintentionally picked up a couple of kgs. And so I've been doing a couple of runs. And yesterday I did a run. Um, and what happens when you start running is that people start talking about things like, when are you going to do your first half marathon or your marathon? Or are you going to do a comrades marathon? And yesterday I, I did an 8K run. I, I can't tell you how small an 8K run is compared to a marathon. Like, like 10 times smaller. And at the end of the run, I, I, I fell to the ground in sheer exhaustion. It was so hot. I ran later in the day. I definitely got too many kgs. Hadn't run for a while. And I'm in sheer exhaustion, lying on the ground for 10 minutes. People coming around, say, hey, great race, well done, good job, pastor. And I know that for many of us, perhaps you haven't thought this, but friends, you have signed up to a spiritual comrades marathon. Whether you like it or not, you're in it for the long haul. And you and I need to figure out how to get up off the floor after 10 minutes of exhaustion and go, tomorrow I run again. Tomorrow I get on that I get on that train again. Tomorrow, I pick up my Bible again. Tomorrow, I get in the Word of God again. I don't know what it is, but there's something about running in groups of people that just is encouraging. People around me, people who didn't know me, going, great run. I'm like, did you see it? It was horrific. What do you mean? You're looking great. I'm like, I'm looking horrific. But somehow this encouragement, these people around me, these people doing in the same lane, running the same race, cheering me on, people who ran in front of me, people who came behind me. But it was this like collaboration of people that are saying, we're taking this seriously. It's eight o'clock. It's freaking hot. We had too much Christmas pie, but we're on the road. I'm telling you, church, you're going to need some of those this year. People around you in your home groups, in your church settings, cheering you on, saying, come on, get up again. We're going for another run. It's going to take a comrade's marathon kind of spiritual perseverance this year. Sometimes it's hard to stand, it's hard to endure, it's hard to persevere. When the promise hasn't come and it's another year, when God just feels distant, when people disappoint you, when your faith gets weary, but friend, do not give up. Keep standing on God's word. And I want to end by saying this. Would you this year, in 2022, would you this year make a decision today that you are giving this year to God? Like completely, like an exclusive, surpassing, obedient, persevering kind of love that says, God, 2022 is yours. My Bible reading is yours. My church attendance is yours. My ears my eyes, my hands, my wealth, my bank account, my business, my family, my marriage, my friendship, it's yours, God. And by the way, God, anything you're wanting to take is yours. 
You need to remove those toxic people, it's yours. You need to stop me doing that thing, it's yours. But God, in 2022, I am choosing to love you with all of my heart and all of my soul. And church, when we do that, I believe that we get to read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 to 20, and I believe it becomes alive in your heart and alive in my heart. And it says this, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on all of heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make the choice of loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to you. Can we pray? Friends, I don't know what got you here today. Perhaps it was some of what Hilt was sharing earlier. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's New Year's resolutions. Perhaps you're here in church for the very first time or even online. And you just know, hey, first things first thing. I need to make peace with God. The Bible says very clearly that He died on a cross that He took all your sins and that if we to open up our hearts and receive Him as our Lord and Savior, that we will have eternal life. And so before we leave here today, everybody's eyes closed and no way to embarrass you, but to give you an appropriate response, to pray a prayer and say, God, I need you. I'm surrendering. Anybody who does not have a relationship with Jesus and wants to make peace with God, I'm gonna ask that you do something brave in a moment and that's just stick your hand in the air, you'll pop it straight back down and then we're gonna pray together. Come on, friend, if that's you today, 2022, you come to God, you see what He'll do in your life. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand right where you are and we're gonna pray together. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I see your hand in the mezzanine, amazing. Thank you. Anybody else? Awesome, awesome, thank you. Amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Hands up all over. I don't want to rush this moment. Anybody else? Thank you. Awesome. All right, let's pray together. Those who are praying, it's a very simple prayer of surrender and thanking God for being your Savior. I'm going to ask everybody to pray with us. Why don't you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, today I thank you for dying on a cross, for taking my sin and my shame and nailing it to that cross once and for all. Jesus, today, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's just thank God for those who responded today. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to connect with you at our info desk at Guest Central, one of the pastors. We're gonna pray one more prayer and then we're gonna worship together. Come on, everybody's eyes closed. One last time. Whether you're online or in the room, you know God's got your attention today. You're like, I needed this. God, thank you. Thank you for getting back my attention, my adoration, my affection. And you should know God's like pounding on your heart, saying 2022 is gonna be different. And you should know, like I just... Cole, I just need to pray a prayer that just 
tells God that I'm, I'm all in. Now I'm asked, just raise your hand right where you are. Just say like, God, that's me. Oh, there's just something so powerful about just responding to God. Come right where you are. Just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. Father, thank you that you see hands raised. You see hearts inclined. Thank you for the work you're doing in the service. But God, I want to thank you for the work you're going to do throughout this year. A great work where you move in power by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that there would be a shifting today in the spiritual realm over people's lives, that they would not be the same again, that your word would penetrate their heart and that, God, they would find a way by your grace this year to love you with all of their heart and with all of their soul. 